Listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio. It's Friday, September 25th, 2015, and this is episode 384. My name is Radio Joe Hughes. Here with me in Studio D, Central City, Pennsylvania, is our engineer, John. You gotta have faith. And joining me from Studio C in McKee's Rocks is my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Hi, Joe. Good afternoon, everybody. Good day, Cliff. Our guest this week is Kyle Knappenberger. Kyle is the Director of Applications at Timelon Technologies Acquisitions. We're going to talk about odors and odor elimination technology. Should be a very interesting show. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at IAQ.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you acquire about their products services. Okay, you can stream the show right from our new website, iaqradio.com. We've got it all updated. You can search old shows. You can search different topics. You can also subscribe and download us from the iTunes podcast area. And we have continuing education credits available. Just email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. And last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. And next week's Healthy Building Summit's wrapping up nicely, looking good. We will have a nice, uh, a nice group for the conference as well. That's September 30th through October 2nd, so you still have time to get in. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. Win a cool prize by out-competing fellow IAQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is very easy. Either email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text in the answer via your computer. Congratulations! To John Lapoterre, Indoor Air Quality Solutions in Orlando, Florida, for the first correct answer to last week's trivia question. The IQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, September 25th, 2015, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Their website is trsca.org. Now for today's IAQ radio question. What is the term which denotes the standardized unit of smell? Back to you, Joe. Good one, Cliff. Okay, Kyle Knappenberger is the Director of Applications at Timelon Technology Acquisitions out of Fort Myers, Florida. He's got a Bachelor of Science degree in microbiology. He's from, from Kansas State University, and he earned that degree while researching and testing water purification techniques. For over a decade, he's been working on using safe metal oxide technology for odor control and toxic chemical neutralization applications. He joined Timelon in 2013 when they acquired the technology behind FastAct and Odor Cleanse from the company where he previously held a variety of leadership positions. He has been involved in several key product development programs related to indoor air quality, 
including those for disaster restoration and individuals dealing with multiple chemical sensitivity. He holds six patents related to the mitigation of chemical and biological contamination, and we've got some intro music for Kyle. Smell it, smell it, you smell it, it's time to go. Smell it, smell it, smell it, let's go. Smell it, smell it, smell it, yeah, it's time to go. Smell it, smell it, smell it, let's go. All right, Kyle, do we have you? Yes, you do. Thank you. My pleasure. Welcome on board. Uh, listen, Kyle, we you know we deal with indoor air quality people, disaster restoration people, building science people, and one of the most difficult issues they deal with are odors. So I look forward to a great show in, in trying to help people understand a little more about odors and, and what kind of technology is available for dealing with them. Let's start with a little background. Uh, where and how did the Timilon technology originate? Well, uh, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for saying just working with this technology for over a decade. That makes me sound much younger than than I actually <laughs> am. Uh, but the technology originated uh, through university research, um, you know, 20, 30, even 40 years ago at Kansas State University with a professor there, uh, Dr. Kenneth Klebunde. But over many years of research, both at, a uni- at that university um, and through work at a uh, spin-out company, this technology really um, developed from the concept of, of you know, high temperature destruction of chemicals through chemical warfare agent decontamination to ultimately where we got to, you know, where we are now with deodorization, chemical elimination, pollutant elimination, and, and Timolon uh, back in 2013 acquired this significant uh, intellectual property portfolio, intellectual property portfolio from that company. And really, we've, over the past couple of years, then uh, taken that and started to uh, rapidly commercialize that and expand it in the markets that were already established, but then uh, you know, bring it out to additional customers because the benefits really are pretty significant, what, it, what, this, what these products and technology can do for indoor air quality. Cliff, let me turn it over to you. Thanks, Joe. Uh, and again, thanks for joining us, uh, Kyle. Kyle, what is nanotechnology, and is Timolon's technology nanotechnology-based? The answer is complicated, so uh, I'll start with the the easier one. Nanotechnology is generally referring to any research, development, or technologies that deal with special properties of materials, things, or matter that are sized below, you know, 100 nanometers in a couple of dimensions. There's, you know, a lot of different physical phenomena and chemical phenomena that occur as materials become smaller, as their, sh- their size shrinks and things decrease, uh, chemical properties, you know, rapidly increase. Uh, an example might be, um, you know, if you had a big log of wood, you know, that burns, you know, very slowly. It can heat a house for quite a long time. But if you took that same log and... and cut it up and basically turned it into sawdust. Well, that same wood with the same mass, much smaller particles is, you know, much more active. It can, you know, essentially sawdust then can explode because it, all that additional surface area is, is, is readily exposed. The technology that Timolon has and that we've developed uh, historically and that we are, are commercializing now um, is nanotechnology in, in the sense that there's a lot of principles that are similar, but we are not actually making nanoparticles. There are different ways that you can achieve uh, benefits of nanochemistry without having issues that are often present with materials that are just shrunken down and smaller in size. So it's kind of the best of both worlds with what our technology is. We have nanocrystalline materials, but they're not nanoparticles. So we get the added chemical benefits without the harm of the smaller size. I was thinking when you used the example of a piece of wood that, you know, you broke it down into smaller and smaller pieces, you got sawdust, and and you had this situation where it actually might be an explosion. But is it not also, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, true that that sawdust would burn a lot more quickly 
than a log would. So is the same thing true with nanotechnology? If you're using it to, say, absorb a chemical or break down a chemical, does it, as it gets smaller, does it uh, get used up or full more quickly? Well, in the case of our materials, we, we use that to an advantage. It allows our, our pro- products and, and technologies to much more quickly and effectively contain a chemical uh, or neutralize a chemical. So that, that we do, yes, that is true, um, but we're able to use that as an advantage because, you know, as we, we, um, you know, we like to talk about bringing harmful chemicals into contact with our materials, you want, to, want that to be a fast, effective, and efficient way to do things. And, yes, our, our, our product and technologies can, can do that. Okay, we'll get into that in more detail later. Cliff, go ahead. Sure. How did you get interested in this technology, and what role did you have in terms of developing it? Well, there's a little bit of luck involved uh, with that for me. It goes back to uh, my days at Kansas State University studying microbiology. I happened to be working for a professor who who was doing uh, water filtration, and uh, we were focused on, you know, uh, using iodinated resins to neutralize uh, chemicals and bacteria in drinking water. Well, I was on that project, but within his lab, he was also doing research with that spin-out company at Kansas State University looking at combined chem, chemical and biological decontamination materials. And I wasn't originally on uh, that program with him, but I was exposed to it and got really interested in that company while in school. Just happened to be that uh, fate intervened and, and that, that company then needed a microbiologist just at the time I happened to be graduating and I was able to join the company and uh, start working on a government research project that was looking to develop a decontamination system specifically uh, a powder decontaminant that could neutralize both chemical warfare agents and biological warfare agents. And that is how I got involved in it. That was my first exposure, you know, 20 years ago now. And um, haven't looked back since because it really has been a very exciting, um, uh, you know, career path and, and good fortunes for me to to be involved in something that has such broad use and appeal that, you know, the research originated out looking at high temperature destruction of chemical warfare agents. And, you know, here we are, the evolution of that, helping folks that deal with, you know, environmental factors and indoor air quality issues and helping people, you know, live better lives. It's, it's been pretty exciting. What are nanocrystalline metal oxide materials that, that we're, we're speaking of? And, and how are they different from a conventional metal oxide? Well, conventional metal oxides uh, are materials that are just mined out of the ground. These materials have very low surface areas. They're they're not porous materials. I mean, it it really it would be you know we're we're digging up dirt here. Um, the the if you were to look at them under you know electron microscopes or TEMs, you know they're pretty uniform in size and structure. There's there's not a lot unique about them. It's just you know we're seeing a lot of bricks. I guess you could say, under the microscope. The nanocrystal in nature, this is where we're, our technology is taking advantage of, of nanotechnology, is, you know, instead of just dividing those, those metal oxides up into smaller and smaller pieces to try to get better absorption or ad- adsorption characteristics, we do this through a patented process, and we are able to, to build and make and modify metal oxides in a way that, the building blocks of them are nanocrystalline in structure, but the particles are still, you know, they're still micron-sized particles. And these materials, in order to get that nano benefit is, you know, like we did the example of the log, you know, you have to expose more and more surface area. And that's achieved through having a highly porous material with a high surface area material. So highly porous with a, a broad surface area material then exposes a lot more chemical active sites, which make these materials then extremely effective and useful for decontaminating chemicals, pollutants, odors, uh, you know, a wide variety of things because the, 
a number of sites that are available to react with those chemicals is just increased. And best of all, you're doing it with, you know, metal oxides, you know, very safe materials. Cliff, let me turn it over to you. Thanks. You know, from a review of the patents, and I think I looked at, at three or four of them, it appeared that the technology was rooted as being an optional solution for big problems, such as would be encountered by the Defense Department, emergency responders, the hazardous materials, spills, and accidents. Is this still part of your business today? Uh, yes, uh, actually, that's correct. It is. We still do hazmat, environmental health and safety applications, spills, uh, even some environmental remediation work. A lot of this is done, uh, some of those larger projects with our international group uh, at Timelon. Uh, we've got an international business development group that is uh, pretty involved with um, different distributors and folks that we're working with throughout the world. So we do have uh, a pretty good presence uh, across the world with those things. Uh, here in the United States, we also uh, you know, work with uh, hazmat responders and, and different folks that serve in those those areas as well. But a lot of our military applications, uh, decontamination stuff, we, we actually um, do that on the on an international level. So it's not not just restricted to what's going on here in the United States. Kyle, what what is the the fast act technology and, and where was that developed and by whom? Well the fast act technology, which uh, again fast act is our, our line of chemical decontamination and containment products. And, and that really is, you could almost distill down our core technology to, to the concept of FAST Act. And, and that technology was developed by an impressive team of scientists over many years. And I'm, I'm very fortunate to have been a part of that, um, particularly on the commercialization end of these things. Uh, but the FAST Act product line really did come about where researchers at, at Kansas State were originally looking at trying to destroy chemical warfare agents in a high temperature setting. And, you know, because chemical warfare agents are difficult to, to neutralize and, and break down. But what they started to see through this research was, hey, wait a second, these, these metal oxides that we're making with these unique properties are, are very good at doing this and they can do this under ambient conditions. It doesn't take high temperature, high pressure situations to do this. So that led to the concept and the development uh, through working with, um, you know, different projects with the National Science Foundation and other government agencies to further develop and scale up the technology to make portable, easy-to-use, easy-to-carry systems that first responders, uh, hazmat individual, military personnel could you know, carry them on their persons or have them in their vehicles so that if they encountered something, they could use it to neutralize, neutralize, uh, you know, whatever that threat happens to be. And this, this occurred primarily through the 90s and early 2000s. And, and the, the, the interesting thing about that is, is, you know, a lot of times when you've got a, a hazmat responder, first responder encountering a chemical, much like even in disaster restoration, you may not, you know, you know there's a chemical or a situation there, but you may not know what its exact composition is or what the origin source of those are. So having a technology that, that really didn't discriminate against different chemical classes, but that could be effectively deployed to contain and neutralize them is something that's, that, you know, had a lot of interest to uh, various government agencies and first responders and environment, uh, EH&S personnel. So, so you kind of combine the the crystalline material, the nano crystalline metal oxide material. Do you also have a um, uh, like a filtration uh, for for particulates, so that that it's kind of a combination of the two? Oh, absolutely, and and that really is how we transitioned the technology from from hazmat and first responder to to disaster restoration situations. Uh, Back in uh, 2005, as everybody remembers, uh, Hurricanes Katrina and, and Rita hit uh, you know, the Gulf Coast area here in the U.S. And, and at the time, we had a, a team of folks go down there with our, our chemical decon products. Uh, and you know, the expectation was you know, everybody was going to be concerned about you know, toxic chemical spills everywhere and, and unknown 
chemical hazards, which were very present, but it was very interesting in that, you know, they were going, you know, more folks, more businesses and individuals are saying, well, can this technology just get these odors out of our warehouse or can they get these odors out of our, you know, our garage or basement or whatever indoor environment had become polluted? Um, You know, they saw it as an odor situation you know, where we, you know, the first responders in, in us at the time were thinking, you know, toxic chemical spill, toxic chemical spill. Well, the general population just saw that as odors. And, you know, it was equally, you know, dangerous and, and uh, a complicated situation. But the Fast Act technology worked extremely well at knocking down all those odors and help begin that, that restoration process. And that really is how we, we started into that 2005 to transition this technology from CWA, chemical warfare agent applications to, you know, more everyday problems. Kyle, how, what, what would the, when you went down to Katrina, what did the uh, Fast Act product that you were using look like? I mean, is it, you know, kind of, you were on the radio, so we have to kind of describe for the listeners, is it a, a small, you know, like a, an air filter that you carried around? Is it an air filtration device of some kind? Is it just a little canister of some kind? Explain to listeners a little more about how it looks. Yeah, absolutely. The original Fast Act uh, decontamination products that went down to Hurricane Katrina and Rita were looked much like a fire extinguisher. Uh, they were in pressurized cylinders, with a dry powder uh, decontaminant material inside of them. And the analogy I often utilize for this product is it looks like a fire extinguisher. Fire extinguishers put out fires. Well, FastAct puts out chemical threats. So this is a pressurized cylinder that essentially would fog a decontaminant powder into the airspace that can knock down and neutralize chemicals. And, And we recognized through through this process and how well it was working that you know this really could work for 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 disaster restoration contractors and folks in the DR industry but we knew we would need to uh, transition that technology into a form that would be more convenient for those contractors you know you're going into a DR job site you don't want to have a mess that you already have to clean up and then want to dispense a, a dry powder into the air to that you know that knocks down all the chemicals it's be much more elegant and uh, easier to use solution and what we did was we developed and put these materials into air filters and air cartridges that could then be deployed in AFDs or air filtration devices on a disaster restoration job site so that we could bring the chemical pollution that's in the air through our cartridge technology and let it do its magic within that cartridge. And is this how the odor cleanse products came about? You've got, you know, there's a method by which there's a range of odor cleanse products. Can you tell us a little bit about how they work? Yeah, absolutely. The, 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 the odor cleanse products that really did kind of come out of that uh, disaster restoration situation in 2005 led to a whole bunch of products, source products, air filtration products, but what makes our technology uh, really special is the broad efficacy and versatility of it. These metal oxides, and our products contain usually two or three different metal oxides, but they work through different types of chemical pathways, and that's why they can be used on you know, a fire, a flood, a crime scene, crime scene cleanup is because the different chemical pathways. You know, you've got things like organic acids that may be in the air, uh, contributing to that pollution. We work through, you know, different acid-base reactions. You've got your inorganic acids like um, HF or HCl, and, and when our materials uh, capture and work with them, they form metal, metal salts and water. You know, alcohols can be readily absorbed by our materials. Things like uh, aldehydes and ketones, um, you know, we attack uh, the different, uh, you know, our metal oxide ions can attack, you know, the carbonyl carbons in those uh, materials. And, you know, there's just a lot of different pathways that we can really um, attack and and utilize to our advantage. You know, they're caustic materials. You know, we have acids. We've got the base side where where there's a strong attraction between, you know, something like the nitrogen and the the metal ions of our metal oxides. Uh, 
something like even chlorine gas, uh, our materials are very effective against, and that chlorine gas will get adsorbed onto our material, and something like our metal uh, magnesium oxide material will then uh, break that down and form a much safer material in the form of magnesium chloride. So those are some of just the you know, broad ranges of chemical classes that these materials work in. And, you know, it really does focus on the concept of, you know, if we can bring these chemicals and pollutants to our materials in a wide variety of forms, the different chemical pathways can occur on that. And that's what, what really does separate us from a lot of more traditional uh, ways that these things work. You know, so whether it's a powder, a liquid, or a granule, we can, we can take advantage of those different chemical pathways. Cliff, go ahead. Thanks, Joe. I, I guess just just a comment on what uh, you know Kyle had mentioned, just to kind of go off for a second. You know, one of the the, the worst restoration projects that uh, contractors will encounter is when the Ansel system that's used—it's a powder uh, fire suppression system. You know, that's used in fast food restaurants. You know, when one of those things deploys. You know, you have that powder and it, it, you know, suppresses the fire. Sometimes there's an accident or vandalism and someone, you know, activates uh, that system and the material that, that they use, you know, can be very, very irritating. And you know, some of those uh, salts, et cetera, can, can have some corrosion uh, you know, attributed to them as well. So just kind of, <laughs> I just brought back memories of, you know, removing ceiling tiles and kind of cleaning that stuff out of McDonald's restaurants. And, uh, it's a, uh, it's a mess. Um, it seems that the technology works when dry. Does this work through the process of adsorption? Uh, yes, it, it actually does. Uh, the, 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 it really is a combination though of absorption, adsorption, but we like to use the, the, the phrase uh, destructive adsorption with ours because, uh, well, first of all, from an absorption perspective, um, you know, our materials do take full advantage of the whole volume of our materials due to all the pores in them. But we like to emphasize the adsorption part because, um, you know, the surface-bound process that occurs from our high-surface area materials and the interactions that result ultimately result in neutralization or potential neutralization based on chemicals. So you do get uh, absorption and absorption depending upon, you know, the different chemistries involved. But, you know, when we simplify this down to it, you know, we we, we usually just say we like to bring the bad stuff uh, or the unwanted chemicals or pollutants and just try to get them into contact with our materials or the good stuff. And that ultimately, you know, for the end user, whether that's adsorption, absorption, uh, destructive process, immobilization, or, you know, chemical byproducts being surface bound, you know, ultimately if the, if the goal gets the pollution out of the environment, that's what we want to achieve for the customers through, through using this, this technology. And, that, and that's why, you know, you're, your comment about the, you know, the, the fire extinguishers and cleaning that up. That's why we, for disaster restoration, we wanted to put these into air cartridges so that we wouldn't be putting any chemicals or materials out into the environment. We want to bring them to our product or technology to make the job of the contractor easier. Okay. All right. Kyle, this has been very interesting so far. We're going to stop and uh, thank our sponsors for everyone so everybody knows we're going to take a little break, about 90 seconds, and... As soon as we're done with that, we're going to come back with the second inter- second half of our interview with Kyle Knappenberger. We're talking odors and odor uh, odor removal technology. Interesting stuff. We'll look for everyone to come back in 90 seconds. The Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions. We use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. 
Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Check them out at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at IAQ.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you acquire about their products or services. Okay, we're, we're back with the second half of our interview. We're, we're talking to Kyle Knappenberger. He's with the Timelon. Uh, he's the Director of Application at Timelon Technology Acquisitions, talking about odor and odor elimination technology. Um, Kyle, I wanted to do a little follow-up on the first half here and just kind of get back to some basics on odor in general. Are there any differences when, you know, what are the key differences when you're trying to deal with an odor versus a chemical that is used for, um, you know, biological or chemical warfare, but doesn't have an odor? Well, that. That is one nice thing that is, is really good about our product. It's not going to, um, you know, matter whether or not there is an odor, which, you know, the product is going to work if the chemical compound has an odor or doesn't have a compound. When it comes to disaster restoration, we often think of, you know, the contamination, and I've been on plenty of job sites where, where you know, folks relate contamination level directly to what you can smell, which, as you know, is you know can often be you know inaccurate. Uh, the materials um, can uh, seek out. Uh, you know, the functional group is not going to be uh, something that you know whether or not there is an odor going to affect whether or not our material is going to work. Is what I'm trying to say. Uh, we 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 are going to be effective and help improve that indoor air quality, you know, regardless. And and I think that's important uh, on a DR job site because often some of the most dangerous things are the ones that you you don't smell, and that's very important to get those out of the environment. Well, I guess another question I have as a follow up from the first half is that you know how do we know these products are being broken? all the way down. I've heard, you know, a lot of times we've got products that do, for instance, um, there's titanium dioxide type products. And then, you know, when you test them out, you find they break down the, the chemical pretty well, but maybe not always all the way. What kind of, what, what can you tell us about that? Well, different chemical pathways are going to have different levels of, of, of completion that, that go through it. With, with our products and the way we deploy them in a lot of these uh, situations, the, the key thing is our research and development over, over, you know, over two plus decades now has shown the different chemicals and chemical pathways and shown that when we bring on a chemical uh, and we react with it, those byproducts are, are surface bound. We've attacked different chemical um, functional groups and they've been immobilized on them. When we deploy it, for example, in, in the air filtration device, you know, a portable AFD, you know, if it's on a DR job site or in a personal, in, you know, environment using a mobile air system for, you know, a person that's chemically sensitive or even a HVAC uh, filter that has our materials impregnated in them, you know, we want to have that air um, bring those contaminants to our materials, let them break down on the surface. Our, our research, our technology uh, development has shown that that occurs uh, to different lever, levels and, and uh, different levels and different efficacies. But the key thing for the customer is you've now done this and you've retained them on our cartridge. So whether it's a 100% uh, breakdown or a partial breakdown or just the immobilization of the, the chemical or the byproducts, 
you then ultimately have have taken that out of the environment and solved that that problem for that customer. I see. That's where I was a little confused. We were talking breakdown, and then I didn't didn't quite realize that not only are you breaking it down to some degree, you're also capturing it, and then it's staying on whatever metal oxide or whatever nanotechnology metal oxide you're, you're working with. That, that helps me understand it a lot yeah, better. Exactly. That is, that is, and that's a very important point because, you know, in, in, in a lot of situations, you want to get rid of those chemicals, break them down, but the most important part is making sure that they are not re-released or something else harmful is just placed back into the environment. And, you know, that would be, you know, counterproductive to the ultimate goal of let's get rid of chemicals and pollution. So I guess that kind of ties, and I'm going to ask this question anyway, although I think to some degree you answered it, but I just want to, um, maybe you can expand on that a little bit here. How does the odor cleanse technology compare to other, you know, odor removal technologies, your carbon filters, your potassium permanganate, traditional air filters, and then the other category, I would kind of break it into categories of, uh, you know, those types of technologies, and then ozone machines and hydroxyl machines. Yeah, and, and even, you know, thermal fogging products as well. Yes, no, those are all things that are used in, in, you know, the restoration industry. And you've got your carbon filters or activated carbon filters or even carbon filters that have been impregnated with, you know, the potassium permanganate. And those work on the process of, of bringing the chemicals, you know, through air filtration devices, much like ours. But where it's different is those materials don't have the destructive adsorption capabilities that our materials do. They have the potential to re-release if the chemistries aren't right. They often work through, you know, a carbon. It's a porous material. It's like a sponge. Well, sponges can be wrung out, and they can be wrung out and re- or replaced with uh, a different thing. It may bring in water one day, the next day it may bring in an odor, and then the next day it rains and it wants to bring in water, and it keeps the cycle of, you know, you know absorbing and desorbing um, continuing on and on. Things like the ozones and hydroxyl machines and even thermal fogging uh, processes, they are all working on the concept of let's put a chemical out into the environment to try to remove or break down a chemical, and and they they often work through very specific chemical pathways. Where our technology, as I uh, mentioned earlier in the show, works through a whole host of different chemical pathways that that means that the product is not necessary or the product is going to work against a whole host of different things it's not going to discriminate and it's not going to have a situation where maybe you have a particular chemical or pollutant in the air and if you deployed a ozone or a hydroxyl or or some technology that's just not compatible with that you might be in a bad situation and and generally we you know our philosophy on all of this is you know we want to have um, a situation where we're not putting out a chemical into the environment. You know, we think it's illogical and doesn't make sense that if the goal is to get rid of chemicals and pollutants in the air, let's get rid of them without introducing something else into the environment. Because those processes, you know, oxidation processes, free radical processes, you know, they may react with those chemicals in the air, but those byproducts that result of that are still present. And through our process of bringing the contamination to our materials, letting it do its, letting it do its neutralization thing, ultimately brings the goal which we're trying to achieve, which is you know clean air has no odor. Cliff, let me turn it over to you. Okay. Um, I, I guess a couple of things. Um, I, I guess my primary you know, I, 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 first of all, let me get back to the follow-up question I, I had a couple of minutes ago. In terms of the powdered material, Kyle, um, what's the, the pH of it, or are there multiple pHs? The, the base formulations that we have of these materials is, is just slight, slightly shifted uh, towards the basic side of neutral, so they're, they're um, you know, they're well within acceptable um, 
exposure levels, uh, you know, usually in that 8, 9, or 10 range. But the most Odorcon's products are right around that 8 or 9 pH level. Okay. I, I guess just my, my, my only comment on, you know, what you said in, in terms of, you know, the ozone machines and the hydroxyls and the air filters and, 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 and so on and so forth, I, I think that a lot of these are really targeted uh, technologies that, and they're, they're tools. And I think what happens is, is that there are, you know, a wide range of odors. Those odors get into some, uh, pretty small spaces that are difficult, uh, you know, to get to. And it really, oftentimes you can't just utilize one technology and smoke odor removal. Oftentimes it's going to take multiple technologies along with cleaning in order to, uh, you know, resolve uh, the this, this situation. And, so, and some of the processes, you know, thermal flogging, for instance, has a pretty good track record and, you know, millions upon millions upon millions of, uh, of applications that have been pretty successful. But back to you, Joe. All no, right. actually, do you mind if I, Go ahead, if I make a quick comment on that? No, uh, there are a lot of wonderful tools in, in our, our restoration toolbox. And, and one of the things that, you know, when I'm talking with contractors and deploying this technology out in the field is, is stressing the importance of, you know, setting up an air filtration device, you know, with something like an odor cleanse air cartridge in it right from the beginning because if we can get rid of that gross bulk contamination from the job site, faster, quicker, easier, and earlier in the process, it can make other tools that get utilized more effective, you know, later in the process because they're not having to deal with as much or as severe or as um, invasive of a, of, a, of a situation. Fair enough. Joe? Kyle, what, what type of pro, uh, odors does the product work best on and are there also odors that are more difficult there are um, a whole host of different things that the the product and technology can be used on and that's that's what's nice about having a a multiple um, multiple blend of our metal oxides in our different products things like uh, polar chemicals and compounds like the hydrogen sulfide or acid gases are some things that we're particularly good at. Inorganic compounds like halogenated gases, you know, a lot of things that are present in synthetic fires uh, we're very good at. Chemicals that have more reactive functional groups. Uh, some other things that are really beneficial, you know, as I just mentioned earlier, um, you know, getting rid of that gross contamination, you know, just that big bulk that may be present on a on a after a fire or or areas where you you know um, environmental uh, conditions can't be controlled you know temperature or humidity because our technology can work under a whole host of um, conditions but some of the other areas where where um, you know perhaps we it may not be within our wheelhouse or where the the reaction may not be as rapid or complete would be something like your your simple or smaller chain organic, you know, organic compounds, you know, like um, you know, methane, for example. Okay, fair enough. Now, what about? Um, I'm curious how this is deployed on on a typical disaster restoration project. The 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 odor cleanse air cartridge is is a form of our materials, and the materials have been. Uh, put into what looks much like an air filter. And these air filters, or we call them cartridges because filters remove particulates traditionally, uh, but these air cartridges can be installed into a, you know, a air scrubber, something, you know, that moves 500 CFM, 1,000 CFM, 2,000 CFMs of air. And by scrubbing that air with our cartridge in place, you get the benefits of the particular removal from the HEPA filters and the the you know, even our, our cartridge as well has particular removal capabilities. But then you're also getting the, the chemical contamination, the odors, while that air is circulating. Uh, you know, for example, particulate filters, you know, they get the, the larger things, the dust, you know, bacteria, pollen spores, hair, 
HEPA filters can start to get into that those smaller particulates, you know, down to the you know, point two microns or whatever, which starts to encompass, you know, smoke and, you know, the tail end of the chemical fume spectrum. But it, but for the most part, it's missing most of those things. It's missing the chemicals of the odors. So by combining our technology into an AFD, you're getting particulate removal, chemical removal, odor removal, all of those things into, you know, one simplified process. That we recommend contractors deploy that, you know, the first thing when they get on a on a DR job site, whether it's a fire, a sewage backup, because you've got those chemicals, and you know, as you know, those corrosive gases after a fire continue to eat away at, you know, the infrastructure of the home. It's you know bad for the crews to live around, and it can continue to do, you know, damage to that property. But if you get it out of there quicker, faster, uh, more effective, it it makes the, the situation for everybody involved better. And as I mentioned earlier, it makes other tools in the DR toolbox more effective. So it's uh, sort of like... Couple, go ahead, Cliff. A couple, couple comments. I think, number one, uh, you know, ventilation is really important. And in most situations, uh, aggressive ventilation and, you know, air washing the structures, a pretty common, mm-hmm. uh, pretty common practice that's done. But... In terms of the cartridge, it, you know, a lot of times uh, an air filtration device, they'll use activated carbon two ways. It'll be built into a filter where there's really not much bulk or dense material there, just you know whatever they're, they're putting on a filter. In other situations, they'll actually have pounds of it where in an air filtration device it may have 10 or 15 or 20 or 50 pounds or, you know, of the material. How would you compare that to your cartridge? Is your cartridge uh, filter weighty? Does it have a lot of uh, weight to it? And I, I guess the second thing is how do you judge the uh, bias, both the efficacy and the product life? I mean, how, how do you know when it's not working so well? Well, luckily we have some of the best tools with us at all times to determine when things are starting to not work as well by your nose. But to, to start with the, the first part of that question, uh, the weight of these standard air cartridges that are used in, in the DR industry are, are pretty hefty. Uh, they're, they're, they're much more substantial than, than uh, you know, that carbon-coated, you know, pleated filter. It, it has, you know, significant amount of bumps behind it, uh, but it is not to the same level as something that, you know, is a, you know, a 50-pound, you know, carbon pellet scrubber. Now, our materials can be used in those types of devices as well, but the Odorclons air cartridge, you know, it it kind of falls somewhere between those two in terms of um, oomph behind it. You know, we have significant amount of material in our cartridge. It's got a a neat uh, patented uh, honeycomb structure. Uh, It's a patented process, I should say, that we have for this that, has significant amounts of material so that it, it can be very effective for, for, you know, the duration of a, a, a fire restoration job, you know, so you can run it all week and still have the ability to neutralize and, and, and bring in contem- chemical contamination to that cartridge. Thanks. Joe? Kyle, what, what kind of cost are we looking at for, you know, if a disaster restoration contractor wanted to add this to his, you know, toolbox, even just for one job, what what kind of cost are they looking at for one of these cartridges? Oh, um, you know, it's a very uh, reasonable, actually, in terms of what it adds and the, the benefits to the job site. But they, they range depending upon, uh, it obviously depends upon, you know, the size of the job and how many cubic feet are ultimately being treated or square feet uh, being treated. But if you were to deploy it in, you know, one or two air scrubbers, the, the cost might only be, you know, 100 or $200. So the added benefit of that, you know, the ability to insurance bill it through, you know, standard uh, software uh, programs that are out there and the return on investment uh, is well worth it and can be very profitable, actually, for contractors. That was my next question. Is this built into some of these standard, uh, excuse me, standard software programs? Yeah, the the most common ones uh, we do have uh, line item codes that can be found on our website. I see. Okay. How did you guys end up identifying disaster restoration as a potential market? Is this all because of what happened to Katrina? 
that is part of it um, that, you know, that got us into the, the idea of more than, you know, chemical hazard and chemical spills. But as we started to um, look into it a little bit further, we really started to see that the types of chemicals that DR contractors are exposed to, uh, you know, in their working conditions are very similar to the types of chemicals that we had already been researching for many years for chemical decontamination. And we really started to see firsthand that, um, you know, the processes that were being used, uh, that deploying an active destructive absorbent material could really make the situation safer, better, uh, and faster. And I started working with, you know, different um, contractors locally, just starting to learn you know, learn a little bit about disaster restoration. We also worked with local hazmat teams uh, on, it, it was just a bit of um, fortunate luck, but one of the, the local hazmat teams in our area had done some research on, on you know, chemical exposures after a fire within their industry, you know, for, for uh, fire departments. And they started looking at, um, okay, what are we really exposed to? What are the chemicals being generated? And the, you know, things like acetaldehyde, benzene, formaldehyde, you know, various VOCs were all contributing within, you know, the, the, the fire services industry to, you know, higher rates of cancer for, you know, for people in that industry. And, you know, that's just one step removed where, where disaster restoration is. And, and we knew that that was a concern and we knew we had a solution for it. All right. What I'd like to do, Cliff, is um, we don't have anybody else to ask questions, but I just thought as kind of a way to set the stage that we're wrapping things up, let's go to the roundup. Move them on, hit them up, hit them up, move them on, move them on, hit them up, raw high. Cut them out, ride them in, ride them in, let them out, cut them out, ride them in, raw Okay, Kyle, on the roundup. Cliff and I typically ask one final question, and then we give you the last, you know, the last uh, say where we ask if there's anything we missed, etc. But I, uh, Cliff, do you want me to go first? Uh, sure. All right. My my question is this, Kyle. You've got a pretty good grasp now on how your product can be used with um, the disaster restoration industry. And then I noticed on one of the products I was looking at, you've you've got. Um, you, you note that it, it's helpful for people with multiple chemical sensitivity. Is this another area that you, you're working on? Do you have any, like, personal um, units that people, you know, wear, or is that something you're looking at? I know you have a mobile kind of uh, air purifier, but can you tell us a little bit more about the multiple chemical sensitivity area? Yes, actually, we got into that um, not by accident, but by feedback from customers using our odor cleanse line of products where, you know, we were looking at different markets and different applications with our odor cleanse products, you know, many of those which we've discussed today, but we started having customers that were chemical sensitive uh, or having MCS calling us and saying, hey, you know, your products work really great uh, for, for my situation. You know, I can't go out into public often or, you know, I try to avoid chemicals and chemical contamination at all costs. I can't use, you know, public laundry mats or those sorts of things. And as we started to get that feedback, we started then working on a new line of products and technologies and, and solutions for customers dealing with that called EnviroCleanse. And we've actually tailored and, and looked at and, and went back to, um, you know, square one trying to solve problems specifically for these folks and tailored a program, a systematic approach of, you know, treating surface air contents so that they could have a much greater personal environmental safety uh, with that line of chemicals so that it just continues the evolution from chemical warfare agents to disaster restoration to helping folks that are dealing with chemical issues on a daily, weekly, hourly basis. Cliff? Um, yes. Kyle, one of the things that we talked about is that technology started out as a, as a dry technology. And when I went to the website, there were liquid products. And what I don't understand is how you can use this um, you know, powdered material that has huge surface area. It's very absorbent, adsorbent, and 
it would seem to me that when you drown it, that some of the beneficial properties would, would go away. So can you kind of uh, explain that to me? I can see exactly why you would think that, but that is not necessarily the case. Uh, with okay. some chemicals or odors, actually having water present uh, may be beneficial for that particular chemical interaction to occur uh, because, you know, uh, the water is, is, you know, something like amines are attracted to water naturally. So actually having your carrier, you know, in that case be water is beneficial. Uh, and another situation might be, you know, let's take a carpet situation where you've got source odor down in a carpet. You may have the world's greatest chemical decontamination up on the surface, but you need that transmission through there where the water is actually, instead of air, like in the air scrubber where the air is circulating it to you, you're using the water as that process to bring the chemical to our material as well. So fundamentally, you're right. I, I, I can see where that comes from because, you know, water is a chemical. You know, we're, you know, we're not going to discriminate against that. But water can also act as the medium for bringing that chemical and contamination to the surface of our material for that reaction to occur. And Fair much, enough. Um, I, I, I guess, you know, at the end of every interview, number one, uh, what we'd like to do is give you the chance to add anything that we forgot to add, you know, question-wise, and then number two, uh, provide your contact information and that of your company uh, so that, you know, people that, that wish to learn more can get that information. Oh, sure, absolutely. Well, I think you guys uh, uh, covered quite a bit today. But if I were to kind of summarize everything, you know, and distill it down into a, a 20 seconds, it would be that, you know, these products serve, a, you know, a diverse range of applications and markets. They've all been field proven. They've been successfully deployed for multiple years now. And they've also been extensively tested by leaders for health and safety uh, applications uh, so that these are very safe materials. And we know that and we can stand behind that. You know, on a restoration property, property, you know, it's the the uh, results are very quick and impressive. And I always tell folks, you know, the best way to really experience this, and and you made a comment earlier, it's hard to do it on radio. Well, it's hard to to explain odor, and it's hard to explain chemical contamination when you can't see it, uh, you can't smell it, or you can't touch it. So I always tell people the best way to really do this is to experience it for yourself, get it out on that next job, and you can really see how well it can impact you. And, you know, the greatest exposure to, you know, environmental contaminants that we all face, you know, different contaminants, chemicals, is, is really through the air. You know, we're always breathing, uh, and whether that's, you know, indoors, outdoors, you know, we may not always be able to control that, but within our personal environments, our homes, you know, we can take measures to control control that to some degree, you know, whether that's deploying a, a portable air unit for a multiple chemical sensitive individual or an air filtration device on a restoration job, you know, that is one small thing that we can do to minimize the exposure to those, those contaminants. And, you know, we now have been at this for a number of years and our products have been used successfully by, you know, some of the most sensitive folks out there, you know, that are dealing with asthma, allergy, MCS, uh, and these products have just worked really well for them, and, and we're very happy to be helping folks. And, and you know, if you're a disaster restoration contractor, you can learn more about this on our, our different websites at odorcleanse.com. We also have a website that is uh, even more tailored to the restoration professionals at hyairfiltration.com. And that's specifically targeting the use of our air cartridges on a you know fire, water, crime scene, lost cleanup jobs. And then for the folks that are dealing with MCS allergy, uh, chemical you know chemical triggers that uh, really bother them, we have our website envirocleanse.com, and we've got these different sites so that people can get to the site that they need and learn about what they need, get those questions asked and answered by us, and we can help them out. All right. Oh, thank you, Kyle. We appreciate you joining us this week, and uh, it's been a very interesting show. It's, it seems like you've, you've got a little different niche than any of the others I've seen up to this point, and uh, I look forward to 
you know, uh, checking it out sometime. Maybe I'll get a, a demo or something like that. We've got a conference next week. Um, you know, you want to send us something out to check out, we'll be happy to do that. But uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, please come back and join us again sometime. Thank you. All right. Hey, this is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks so much to this week's guest, Kyle Knappenberger. Of course, to my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. Uh, Jonathan, you got to have faith at the controls. Most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners. Next week, we're going to have a flashback Friday. The Z-Man and I will be at our conference, the Healthy Buildings Conference. Uh, actually, it's the Healthy Buildings Summit and the IEQ Mold and Disaster Restoration Conference runs October September 30th to October 2nd, so it's not too late to get in. Research to practice is the theme. We look forward to seeing a lot of uh, loyal listeners there. So we'll be back in two weeks with a live broadcast, but we will have a flashback Friday next Friday at noon. There's a leak in the soul building, and my soul... I got another building.